Do we want to get rocked? The worst song by far is Let's Get Rocked. And I think it might be the worst lyrics of all time. It starts out, I've just pulled them up. Do you want to get rocked? Let's get, let's get, let's get, let's get rocked. And then it's mostly a grown man, the role of a young child who's complaining about doing chores. This is the best. Uh, and the way it actually plays out, the singing makes it even worse. But uh, get your butt right out of bed. Oh, that's the, it's the call and response. I'm sorry, that's what I love so much. It's like the dad talking to the kid. Get your butt right out of bed. Stop bugging me. Get up and move your sleepy head. Don't shake my tree. He said, mow the lawn. Who, me? Walk the dog. Not my style, man. He sounds like Bart Simpson or something. Cowabunga. Take out the trash. No way. Tidy your room. Tidy your room. Eat my shorts. Come on, Dad. Get real. Sorry, Dad. Gotta disappear. Let's Let's get get the the rock rock out of here. (laughs) That's the dumbest fucking song I've ever heard in my life. From the Great White North and the Great American South, it's the Border Battle of the Bands. This is... North by South. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to North by South. From the South, I am your old pal and your host, Clay. And coming to you from the North, it's your boy, Rye. It's, it's our boy. How you doing, Rye? <laughs> Not bad, man. Good, good. We, we're getting uh, buried up here. Got the, the snow's coming in hard. How hard are we talking here, Rye? 12 inches of snow? <laughs> like that great rap album? Yeah. In pharma. Yeah, I think we're probably going to get more than that after tonight. It's still coming down as I look out the uh, the window here. Uh, unbelievable. I don't even know how to rap about that, so we'll just move on. <laughs> hey, right before we get going today, why don't we hit a little music news? I don't know if you've noticed, but there's been a lot of music in the news <laughs> hence the <laughs> my phrase music news hit the jingle north by south music news you hear it eventually <laughs> so for one we've had a couple titans or legends of the music industry pass away we lost jeff beck who uh, right. i'm told is a very good guitar player he, he passed away yeah, and, and then, well, I was always taught not to speak ill of the dead, so I won't even mention the fact that David Crosby also passed away very recently. <laughs> right, the Cros. Yeah, it's it's really just it's coming down on the boomers now, isn't it? Yeah, and it, all their all their favorites. And you and I, I mean, we're, we don't we're not laughing at anyone dying or how their family members would react. It's just funny how. Right. If you're on kind of the music Twitter, some of the reactions you get from people who have never met these people, and we, I think we've talked about, I know we've talked about 
this, but probably on here we've talked about the uh, the old, uh, well, they're jamming together in heaven now. Yeah. I'm sure someone is like, you know, David Crosby is singing with Jeff Beck, you know, right now. I, I, I'm guaranteed. Just waiting by the gates, waiting to get in. <laughs> right. Uh, Jeff Beck, I think he was 81 years old. He's an older gentleman. Was he that old? I don't know. He's old, right? <laughs> Let me look it up. Let me look it up. Or maybe David Crosby, I'm thinking of. Uh, Crosby, definitely. Okay, Jeff Beck was 78. Crosby, 81. That's who I was thinking of. Both old as shit. And I've seen okay. multiple tweets about each one of them that said, I just can't believe it. I can't believe we lost him. <laughs> oh, really? I mean, I guess you're sad about it. And if I was a yeah. family member, I, I bet it would be shocking and I might say that. But, uh, yeah. You can't believe an 81-year-old died? I mean, I get that you like him, but it's not that astonishing. I think a lot of those people who are shocked are kind of faced with their own mortality. Oh, yeah. You know, I guess the, the people who are, are really like Crosby and like Beck, he obviously was a little older than them when they were getting into him, I would think. That's a good point. Unless they're weirdos who just like musicians the same age as them. I don't know those I kind of people. like that. That's a good point, and that's not funny <laughs> at all. I was trying to just make a little joke. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right it's actually very sad we're all gonna die one day right as far as music news here's what i actually want to talk about just briefly before we get into our uh, our theme for the day let's talk yeah. a little bit about rick rubin because i know you have your opinions okay. and i don't know if you've seen i don't know if you've seen a little bit of it there's this i guess rick rubin is coming out with a book and so there's a 60 minutes interview and there are clips oh, okay. circulating and in the, the clip that everyone is watching, everyone. Well, you shared it on social, right? So I shared it. I did. <laughs> so yeah. everybody's seen it. Yeah, it's huge now. Thanks to me. <laughs> it went viral once again. But he says, I can't play an instrument. I don't know how to use a, a soundboard. I have no technical skills. And Anderson Cooper right. on 60 Minutes says, well, what do they pay you for? And he says, well, I have great taste. <laughs> and I know what's good. And I have strong opinions on music. And it's that's benefited a lot of artists, which may be true. But the the backlash came, and I, I was just joking around. I don't really give a shit. But there are people talking about only uh, an old white man could be so privileged that he can't even play an instrument or use a soundboard, right. and just it dominates just completely the dominates the industry. And I'm not trying to make it anything too deep, but. It is pretty funny that the guy has had the most incredible career, and I'm still trying to figure out why. I think it's because he was in the right place at the right time when it came to discovering like the Beastie Boys and some of those early rap artists at a time when like mm-hmm. rap was... I mean, he brought it to the mainstream, basically. And so yeah. I think he, he built up so much goodwill that he could just dick around for the rest of his life with his lay on his couch with his beard and his bare feet and uh yeah and it he just, just sunk right into that like guru slug exactly mode, um where he's just yeah it's irritating sometimes and and some of the stuff he does like he's he's definitely like been involved in some of my favorite albums over the years but it's a, it always sounds like it's despite him yeah I mean, 
he has this whole thing where he like sets rules, but the rules are kind of like, you know, be the way you used to be and you know, I'm not going to do anything except for just sit on the couch and <laughs> criticize. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I I think it really works for some artists. I mean, there's a lot of artists that just hate him after yeah. they work with him. Yeah, know? some have said, <laughs> you know, we saw him four times the entire recording process yeah. and we paid him an un- ungodly amount of money. And he surrounds himself with some pretty talented, like his engineers and stuff. I know the Metallica thread was uh, Fiddleman. Greg Fiddleman was like his like engineer when he worked with Metallica. And they basically took him and they're like, he didn't, Rook Ribbon didn't do anything. You did everything. And then they just kept using him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, those albums, the recent Metallica hasn't, doesn't sound good. It's not a really good example of that. But, you know. You have to kind of buy into his like his guru status, his like culty kind of thing. And if if that works for an artist, if an artist needs to like, it's not even like they're checking their ego by working with them. It's almost like they're massaging their ego, right? (laughs) You know? Yeah. It's like another step of just like that pretentiousness. I made this album with Rick Rubin. Exactly. His ideas certainly aren't. Groundbreaking. <laughs> I, ju- I just watched the uh, the documentary series, it's like four episodes on Phil Spector, mm-hmm. which obviously focuses on the the murder and what an awful awful person he was. But he's kind of like the anti Rick Rubin as far as a producer because I mean in his heyday, he would write or co write all the songs. He would find a singer who had the right voice for the song. He would pick all the musicians. He would tell them exactly what to do. And then he had this distinct style, and he made all these amazing records. I have more respect for one over the other, although I'm sure Rick Rubin is a better human being than (laughs) Phil Spector. But it's just interesting what being a producer can mean. Uh, It can be very different things, right? Yeah, Yeah, for sure. (laughs) But part of me is almost more impressed by... And maybe Ruben was being a little funny or exaggerating how little he knows. <laughs> but I kind of love someone who's just doesn't know what the fuck they're doing and just fakes it <laughs> and gets by and it works. I mean, that's that's a skill. Gives you hope as someone who doesn't know how to do Thank anything. You, that <laughs> you yes, might rule someone some who doesn't industry. know how to do anything. <laughs> yeah, he's like the, the hero, the idol of all of us out here who don't know how to do shit. Yeah. He, that's the dream right there. <laughs> Absolutely. So thank you, Rick Rubin. But I think you're right. What you said before, he was like kind of part of a scene and he like did yeah. discover or not like he was just like into this underground music and was able to get them the studio time. However he did it. And he recorded stuff very dry and very like it works for the certain artists, you know, like yeah, the stuff he did with that. Slayer yeah. was pretty amazing for the raw energy that Slayer had. He just translated what they were doing live into the studio and didn't didn't try to put the fucking polish that everybody was putting on eighties heavy music at that time and made like yeah, like a, a fucking thrash masterpieces. So <laughs> yeah. And what he did with hip hop too, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Tom Petty, the Wildflowers album. Love, I love, love that album. Yeah. All right, Ryan. So, what's the theme for the day? Well, I think we were going to get into some bad love. This being uh, February, the uh, month of uh, Saint Valentine's Day, everybody's thinking mm-hmm. about love. But we're we're going to spin that and go with some sour relationships. I believe for those of you who celebrate 
we're not trying to drag you down, but yeah, it might be fun to go anti-love. I realize this this topic is it's so wide open because mm. of course there's a million songs about love gone bad. Yeah, but actually I want to do this every February because <laughs> it kind of gives us a chance to squeeze in maybe an artist that we love that we haven't talked about yet. Yeah. I decided to go with a heavy hitter, and I narrowed it down to three. I had uh, Turnpike Troubadours, who I need to talk about on here at some point. Yep. I had John Prine, who I can't believe I haven't talked about on here yet. Of course, yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised you haven't talked about him yet. But ultimately, I went with the third option, because what's better when you're talking about Love Gone Wrong than a sad country song? And so I decided to go with the greatest country music singer of all time. The greatest singer of sad country songs of all time. Mr. George Jones. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're going with some royalty. And the reason I've been thinking about him, I actually was listening to him a lot last year. But now, uh, or recently, the George and Tammy TV show has come out. Have you seen this? Do you know about this at all? It's like six episodes. Oh, it's a okay. Limited series. It was going to be a movie originally. No, I haven't seen that yet. But instead, they made it into a TV series. And uh, of course, I had to watch it with my wife. Yeah. And I've got a lot of opinions about it. Most of them are negative. Okay. But he's kind of back in the public eye somewhat as a result. Yeah. And again, it's called George and Tammy. So it's about that love story. For those that don't know, Tammy Wynette, George Jones were married. They had a very tumultuous relationship. They recorded many duets and had a ton of huge hits. And then even after they uh, divorced later on in life, they came back together to sing some songs together and tour and to make money for a lot of other people, honestly, play to this the public's image of them as this this amazing power duo yeah, troubled love story. Yeah. yeah. And they were great together. I mean, they, their songs are, are great, but mm. the love story aspect of it was always kind of, it was pushed pretty hard in the media right, to help sell records. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that was back when there was like the, the, the all the duet country, like uh, Dolly and Porter Wagner. And yeah, it was always mm-hmm. Steve, Chris Christopherson and Rita. They kind of That's had exactly little, right. Yeah. Which is a, c- a cool yeah. thing. It's very unique to country. It, it can be very cool. Mm-hmm. And like I said, they have some great songs together. Mm-hmm. This George and Tammy TV show, I mean, there were a lot of good things about it. Like, there were a lot of good performances. One huge mistake was the actors, they actually sang the songs themselves. Okay. And if, if I make any point in this podcast, it hopefully will be that George Jones was an amazing singer. Mm. And to see an actor try to pull that off, I mean, I felt sorry for him. That, like, <laughs> you're a good actor, but you're not a singer. And it just, that alone just didn't make any sense to me. Right. It's not like A Star is Born, where they uh, actually had a <laughs> right. musician in there. The original A Star is Born. Well, actually, the new one has a musician as well, obviously, Lady Gaga. But oh, yeah. And didn't Bradley Cooper sing everything? And isn't he kind of like... I don't know. I, from what I heard from the soundtrack, I didn't think. I'm like, well, everybody's like, wow, he can sing really good. I'm like, yeah, he sounds pretty generic compared to Chris. But that's just Yeah. Me. It's like, oh, he can sing good for an actor. But 
that's not gonna <laughs> come close to singing like George Jones. <laughs> yeah. And also the show overall. I mean, and I get it. It's of course it's gonna be inaccurate. And I'm not the world's biggest expert, but there were some moments that were just so far off from reality. Right. That it didn't make sense. And even the spirit behind of it, it kinda it was very pro Tammy. Right. And George Jones obviously had his problems. But he just kinda was presented as this piece of shit drunk drug addict who just did crazy shit for no reason and it is true he had severe addiction issues Mm -hmm. he had breakdowns that landed him in hospitals uh but tammy did some crazy shit too and so uh it was just very one-sided where they're just trying to give you a hero and and a villain and it uh, it was kind of off-putting yeah that always happens when they try to script something out Uh, Although I will say, if you if you don't know anything about them or you don't care about country music, you probably watch it and think, "Oh, this is enjoyable," right. you know, because again, the performances are good and all that. Yeah. But, so all of that to say, we talk about love going wrong and divorce songs. This is my choice because it is a amazing song by George Jones that was written after he divorced Tammy Wynette, hmm. and it's significant in a lot of ways. One is that. Early in his career, George Jones wrote his own songs, and he was a great songwriter. And then he became like hot shit, and everybody in Nashville wanted to write a song for him. They'd give him all the best songs. And so he didn't write songs for a long time. And then apparently, you know, one night at like 3 a.m., after he split up from Tammy, he wrote this song called I Just Don't Give a Damn, and it's... It's pretty biting and it's very direct. Parentheses, Tammy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Looking at you, Tammy. <laughs> so, you want to listen to it, right? Yeah. Let's play a little George. Let's do some George. This is some real country music, y'all. Oh, yeah, it is. There's nothing alternative about this. <laughs> nothing alternative. This is the real deal. <laughs> there are those who'd like to change. Way I'm living It seems they just don't like me The way I am Tomorrow I may live The way they're thinking Oh, but tonight just don't give a damn I've done everything I can To make you happy But every word I spoke You always put me down got a, he's, he's, a little, he's got a little bit of martyrdom so far as, oh, no. as anyone does when they do no, a song about a divorce. No doubt about it. I tried to do everything. I did everything right. Right. <laughs> George Jones never made a mistake. We all know that. <laughs> He's famous for being a perfect angel. <laughs> but yeah, it's just kind of like that late night pissed off song. And he does kind of blame mm-hmm. himself some in this song as well. There aren't a lot of lyrics. It's, it's a quick song. But this came out in 1975. It was a B-side to a, another single. And, you know, George Jones, it was just 
hit after hit after hit. But by this time, he was kind of slowing down. Yeah, he he wasn't he wasn't killing it with the number one hits all the time. George himself said, "I just don't give a damn." Was my eighty sixth single record, which that alone is insane. Yeah, it was on the Billboard survey for only two weeks and peaked at number ninety two on the top one hundred. I had never released a record on a major label that did so poorly. Mm. But since that time, it's kind of become one of his legendary songs. It's considered one of the best things he's ever done. Right. Again, the story around it doesn't hurt, but it's also just a great direct song. And, and one that he wrote himself late in his career, which was kind of rare. Talking about George Jones, his voice is always the key. Yeah. And I ran across a quote earlier today that explained why he's such a great singer much better than I ever could. It's from James Taylor, actually. Guy knows how to sing. He does. And one of my favorite George Jones songs is Bartender's Blues, which is a cover of a James Taylor song. And so James Taylor said, he sounds like a steel guitar. Mm. It's the way he blends notes, the way he comes up to them, the way he crescendos and decrescendos. The dynamic of it is very tight and very controlled. It's like carving with the voice. Nice. I think that's right. Where George is always in control of his voice. And he'll show off, but it's in subtle ways. And his his voice will just soar at times. And his own character comes into the voice. He brings it down. And I noticed in this one, I don't know if in his older stuff, it's more, there's more of this. But he does settle into his own voice a little bit. Um. And just kind of sp- almost a bit of a spoken word, and then ramps into it. But it's it doesn't feel uh, it doesn't feel cheesy like a Tom Jones when he's like, "I'm gonna break it down now," or like <laughs> you know. But like he'll actually just it, just the human quality comes through. Yeah, exactly right. It always feels like he's serving the song that it makes sense for the moment. Mm. Um, yeah, and it's why he's the greatest singer. Of all time in country music, but specifically of sad songs. Tomorrow my arms may ache and want to hold you. Oh, but tonight I just don't give a damn. This song is mostly blaming Tammy. <laughs> yeah, I'm just waiting right. for him to say, I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't a <laughs> peach myself. You're right about that. Yeah, he does have songs where he <laughs> calls himself a piece of shit, but this really isn't one of them. But I, but I do like that he recognizes that, because he's going all in. Mm-hmm. I don't give a damn about you. I don't give a damn about me. Maybe that's what I was thinking. He's kind of turning it back on himself some. It's not that... Just that he doesn't give a shit about her anymore. Yeah. He doesn't care about himself. He's being self-destructive. Yeah. And he can even... He has the foresight to look ahead and know that tomorrow I might regret this, these feelings. Uh, I might be lonely tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But as it stands right now, here I am. I, I'm over it. Yeah. I just don't give a damn. 
and knowing the story that he i mean it it is right after the divorce and then they still kept a business relationship afterwards i don't know how much of it of that is in there too but it feels like this was written right in the moment so far that that's the story yeah, yeah. i think it was uh, it's the last verse uh but we'll keep making music because yeah. it pays the bills. There's money to be made. <laughs> but I feel like with George, he's just, yeah, it's such an amazing voice that you're not going to get people thinking it's hacky that he's that he's mournful like this. He, he, he emotes his voice in the right way that it reflects the emotions that he's talking about. It's not just like, yeah, other fucking hicks just talking. Exactly. About <laughs> yeah, he's the real deal. Through and through, everyone knows it. Yeah. Everyone respects George Jones. Every country singer wants to be like him, and plenty of other types of singers want to be like him. There was kind of a famous quote from Frank Sinatra, who at one point years ago said, George Jones is the second greatest singer in the world. Oh, God. <laughs> Guess, <laughs> I think we all know who he thought the first... Oh, blue eyes. I don't know know about you. I don't know about you. I don't know about you, Sinatra. (laughs) Fuck that Uh, clown. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. George never went to Vegas. Sold out. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So when you look at George in like this, because he is like one of like the super iconic country guys. And then I immediately, I think other than him, like before him, it would be Hank, Hank Williams Sr., right? Right. So like, yep. exactly and right. he is—he's also one of those like um, sad song dudes. It's always those like really sad guys that that seem to to set the standard to be like the the gold standard of the vo- the voice in country. It's just kind of part of of what draws you to these guys. And uh, yeah. it's a sad—it's a sad genre <laughs> as popular. It's a as sad it is. genre. It's the <laughs> tear in the beer stuff, and sometimes it's you know done with kind of a. I don't know if sense of of humor is even the right way to put it, but Mm. sometimes it's just bleak as hell. And a lot of George Jones songs are incredibly bleak. It's crazy that he had so many hits with just the saddest music. And you're right, Hank Sr., he's probably known more as the just kind of the greatest songwriter. Right. Of course, he had the voice too. But when it comes to a pure singer, I mean, it's just George Jones. And there's really no other person in that class. Mm Mm-hmm. Just in case you guys don't believe me, i got to read at least a couple other quotes. One is from Robbie Robertson of the band, because that's the the unofficial band of the podcast. That's right. right? Yeah. Robbie's always one to talk to, so let's hear what he says. Oh, that's true. He said about George Jones, Robbie Robertson said, He was the Ray Charles of country music, the one who could make you cry with his voice. We wouldn't listen to country music, the guys in the band. But we'd listen to George Jones, which I'm kind of surprised they didn't listen to country music. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, he's speaking on behalf of the band there. I bet if you asked Levon or, or Rick, Levon, they listen to country music. <laughs> yeah. I think they'd be like, uh, "Yeah, we'll speak on ourselves there." Maybe Garth didn't. Yeah, he just listens to fucking Mozart or whatever. Classical. Yeah. <laughs> and I can go on and on. I mean, everyone loves George Jones's voice. That's the point. Um, yeah. Country or not country, the guys who know what they're talking about and pay attention, they yeah, it just hits you a certain way. 
And I, I get it, like you listen on the radio, just think, oh, this is cool. But if you really like put the headphones on and pay attention to the way he sings, it's it's so special. Yeah. All right, let's wrap it up. Yeah. Let's fill that pint. Some more tears. If you should ever want to call me, I'll be on my side town. But don't call tonight, cause I still don't give a damn. Tonight, I just don't give a damn. That's it. It's always like you know, three minutes long. Mm-hmm. Just a perfect, perfect song. Yeah. No fat to trim. That's not to love. Beautiful. I'm glad you got George in. Some classic, classic country. And I don't know if uh, we're just like such fucking pros now, but. The whole time, I was just thinking of connections to my own artist that I selected today. And you brought up a oh, couple. Nice. There was a couple there that I was like, oh, I could segue now. I could segue here. I could segue there. Perfect. <laughs> you went right on the nose with the divorce. But the artist I selected today, it's going to be touching on like some relationship stuff. And, and with you having a quote there from James Taylor, and you even had one from Robbie Robinson, both are very prominent collaborators with... Um, my selection today, and it's another big one. Miss Joni Mitchell is going to come in here Joni. and represent for the North. For Love Gone Wrong, I mean, you kidnapped her already from my roster uh, when we did that <laughs> cross border cover. So yeah, I'm, I did. <laughs> I'm driving down there to rescue her there. Um, hopefully, she doesn't have too much Stockholm syndrome. Uh, but uh, <laughs> we both knew that I would reclaim her. Sooner than later. As you should. Yeah. As you should. And so you picked that, you had that Prince cover there. We talked about a case of you on that episode. And I think we talked about the potential like links to Leonard Cohen or Graham Nash. And there's all these speculations around her relationships and with those hippies that she was rocking with. But the fact of the matter remains that uh, Joni really doesn't give a fuck about them. And uh, (laughs) I was actually going to play another one from that album, Blue. Good. But then I thought, I don't know what we said about it, and I don't know how much we talked about it. It's kind of an album that's already dissected a lot, too. Today, I'm going to pick something a little bit more. It's her being observational of another relationship. It's not autobiographical like Blue. And uh, also something that's a little bit more musically interesting, I think. So good for a, a little dip into here. Because like most good folkies of that era she she evolved her sound to counter what was expected of her moving away from that whimsical folksy stuff which i love and it's it's undeniably amazing uh, her voice and the single guitar voice deal it's pretty next level in itself but i wanted to get into some more of like the uh the, the mid to late 70s freeform avant-garde arrangements um, when she's kind of collaborating more with other musicians. So from the 1975 album, The Hissing of Summer Lawns. Are you familiar with this album at all, Clay? No, I'm not. No? Where do you land with Joni? Are you, you, you're, I know you're a fan of like Blue and everything, but do you kind of just hang around in Court and Spark and that kind of like uh, yeah, it's, earlier? Yeah, it's one of those where I wish I knew more. It's, you know, always kind of plan to dig in deeper. You know, I love Blue. Mm-hmm. 
and I know like some songs here and there, but I'm definitely not an expert. Uh, so, do you ever feel like you have some artists that you're kind of saving for? Yeah. You know, you love them. You like what you have. Yeah. And it's yeah. like uh, later on, I'm gonna. Uh, it's gonna be the right time, and I'm gonna want to really do this and yes. dig in deep. And that's kind of where I am with with Joni. That's great. No, that's a great place to be. And I think she's she's one that you really. I mean, you being a lyrics guy, um, there's a lot there to fucking yeah. enjoy. Again, all my folky stuff is through my parents. And this is one, the only artist that I can get down with, with my mom. <laughs> like, she's got, like, <laughs> nice. she's, I mean, she'll play Blue all the time and she'll play Quartz yeah, cool. Park. I mean, just on a level of just appreciating her talent is, uh, is easy to do, even if you're a basic bitch like my mother. <laughs> I assume she does not listen to this podcast. No. <laughs> My mom, she can't wait every month when a new episode drops. She's just right on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so some context for this album then, because I think that this, uh, the hissing of summer lawns, it's almost like sonically and thematically like the best representation of her complete body of work. If that makes sense, it's like. It's not like her big album, Blue Is That. I mean, it's a, it's kind of a flawless album that everybody loves. But And Court and Spark, too, is kind of like the, the Laurel Canyon, like, perfected pop kind of sounding thing. But this one was, like, just after that, and it was moving more towards, yeah, some more of her jazzy kind of stuff. So I think it's more reflective of her entire career in that sense. Um, and she does have a couple of... Uh, tracks on here that kind of harken back to like her earlier folky stuff it's a great album i definitely suggest burning it down all the way her jazz chops are like ignited here and that carries through like hajira and the fusion stuff that she does with like jaco pistorius later like yeah she really gets into that scene so there's a bit of that in here but it's not like it's not all it is (laughs) that's one that I'm, i'm curious about i'm sorry it's off not to get you off track, but no, the stuff with like Jocko and all that, I haven't listened to it much. What do you think of that? It's, it's interesting. Cause, um, like the early stuff with Jocko. So he kind of just like played bass over her tracks for like the first collaboration they did, which I think was Hijira, which is a great album too, but it's strange. It feels kind of alien and over top and, and all her songs like from court and spark forward, are very reliant on um, bass. Like, bass kind of carries the melody, and she interacts with it. And uh, she works with, like, obviously, like jazz guys that are, you know, it's it's a lead instrument in jazz, right? Yeah, she found a good bass player, for sure. <laughs> she certainly did, yeah. So so once she gets to Mingus, which is, uh, that's when it's, yeah. like, full on. She's, like, with Weather Report as her backing band. But I think... Jocko just came in and like played a bit on the first one, but it's interesting. It's very interesting. Uh, the way he plays bass is incredible too. He's got this, this fretless style that's completely unique to himself, and nobody can ever replicate. yeah one of a kind. Yeah, and so is Joni. So like together, it's just it's just very interesting. But this one here is just before that happens, and um, the song that I picked is actually very like cinematic and kind of more composed than kind of that freeform jazz that you would associate with like a, a, a band like Weather Report playing with her and stuff like that. There's like this great triptych of songs that's uh it's actually positioned right at the beginning of side two of it. If it's on a vinyl, I don't have it on vinyl. I've never listened to it on vinyl, but I just noticed that that's where it is, but they're kind of, there's kind of like a Joni sandwich there. So there's these two 
observational kind of tracks. This would have been around the time when she first kind of moved to Los Angeles in the Laurel Canyon, and she's kind of observing the uh, like trophy wives and the mm-hmm. relationships that are around her that she doesn't really fall into because she's kind of like this free spirit boho chick. Yeah, so <laughs> Johnny Mitchell, yeah, yeah, she's kind of Johnny Mitchell. So, but she's still like living in like the Laurel Canyon, like with them in the big mansions, and so the two songs are kind of about these like kind of kept women <laughs> that she's observing around her. Uh, and then in the middle, there's a song that's called the boho dance, which is all about selling herself basically, or selling out and like maintaining like, bohemian spirit that she wants to keep. But it's also people are profiting off of it. So she's selling. So it's got this like little like bit of how she fits into this world. Um, really cool stuff. So like, the three of the songs together are, are great to, to listen to. And, and flesh out the story of the hissing of summer lawns, which is a great title too. The hissing of summer lawns. That's going to be one a great of title. titles. Yeah, you're right. It just immediately gives you that like vibe of this like summer. That's so true. Everyone knows what that means. As soon as you hear it. Yeah. It makes you feel something. Yeah. Very cool. The song that I've picked is called Harry's house. And it's actually, it's actually two songs. So it's Harry's house slash centerpiece. And I'll kind of unpack what that means in this and like what centerpiece is, but it's, it's interesting what she does. She kind of throws a cover song into there, but it's like, she's, it's like an instrumental jazz piece. And then she puts lyrics over. It's like, it's really cool. Um, and it's, it's an eight minute song, so I should probably get into Uh-oh. it. <laughs> I'm going to break it up as we do on an SS here, but I might be pushing sure. it. Like I might be the, the longest one here so far. Ah, I, I so. mean, you had that 30 minute song, 30 minute song, but I think I only played about five minutes of it. <laughs> And uh, we gotta we gotta do this one all the way through. I mean, it's Johnny Mitchell here. It's Not gotta yet. be on it, but it will be interrupted by me breaking down what the fuck it's about because that's what we do here. And I'll let it swell in here at the beginning. It's super cin- cinematic, like I said, and and the intro right off the bat is cool. Which they cut this out in the remaster for some reason, so I have to get nice. the old version. Yeah. But there's this great swell here, which kind of kicks us into Harry's house slash centerpiece. In the street, 
on the Pan Am roof Like a dragonfly on a tomb And businessmen in button-downs Press into conference room All right, so I'll, I'll stop it right there for now. Like I said, opens kind of like a movie with a big fade-up, which is actually kind of like mimicking like a plane landing. At least that's what I get from it. Like, because the lyrics mm. begin with this description of uh, Harry, our protagonist, I guess, landing in New York. He's a fucking working stiff kind of businessman. Um, and I love the shit that they established there at the beginning with that heat wave kind of mood. That's kind of plays into the whole like, the hissing of summer lawns and all this this vibe of this like sweaty film noir kind of thing. And I, I fucking love that. But the lyrics are heat waves on the runway. As the wheels set down, he takes his baggage off the carousel. He takes a taxi into town. Yellow schools of taxi fishes. Like, Joni loves a good fucking taxi lyric. She so loves taxis. She yeah. gets that in there. But the cool thing here is, like, the lyrics, like, they all tie together and they all lead into each other. And with this song in particular, she jumps around to multiple locations and then she tra- time travels back to the beginning of their story as a couple, like... But it's all linked with the characters actually like flashing back to some something that reminds them of something in their past relationship, and then it'll just kind of tell their backstory, and then it'll come back to present day and how that's all changed. Um, so it's a hard one to follow, and obviously me jumping in every five minutes is not going to help that. <laughs> no, no, it might. We've got a tour. We got a tour guide that might help. Yeah. actually. maybe in the edit I can make it work. But uh, I'll let this play a bit. You, you, you'll hear the shift. Um, to the the wife's story. Italians of paper-minded males talking commodities and sales while at home there. Paper wives and their paper kids. Paper the walls to keep their gut reactions hidden. Checkers for the kitchen Climbing ivy for the bed She is lost in house and gardens He's caught up in chief of staff So there's the transition into the uh, the life at home. That whole paper theme section there. So battalions of paper-minded males talking commodities and sales. While at home, their paper wives and their paper kids paper the walls to keep their gut reactions hid. Yeah, her living in Harry's house. And uh, she's basically just like remodeling stuff to kind of distract herself from the fact that like uh, the relationship is kind of fizzled out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh. And uh, there's another verse here. We'll segue into this idea that I said here where there's a second song within the song. Um, you'll definitely feel when it shifts. Well, and how about... I mean, I went on and on about George Jones' voice, and rightfully so, I think. But, I mean, how about Joni's voice? Fuck. So unique. I mean, no one has ever sounded like her. And is it, maybe it's the phrasing, like kind of the rhythm mm-hmm. of the way she sings each line. It's so unique, and her voice is so pretty. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's just very special. And when she's playing with like this kind of jazz group that she's with she has a horn section that's following her on those on those really cool melodies Mm -hmm. she's just as like inspired by the band as far as the melodies and catching them that uh, 
it's a real collaboration at this point. And it's something that she's like, she's coming from like a, that solo, uh, amazing guitar player. She's an incredible guitar, guitar player. player. Yeah. And the way she plays guitar and sings is, is, is its own kind of cool cadence and, and cool, uh, rhythms, but her sense of melody is incredible. And she's matched by these incredible musicians that she starts bringing on when she gets into these jazz circles, they really play off each other. And when you hear her talk about these times, she's very much like, she's very humble about like how good they are and like how much they're inspiring her. It's, it's very cool stuff to see what she does, how she progresses, and when she gets away from the fucking cross and those assholes just trying to like say that they fucked her or whatever, yeah. and starts like actually, yeah. you know, playing with some respectable humans. Right. <laughs> drifts off into the memory of the way she looked in school with a Public swimming pool So you feel the shift. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're getting real. Blues, jazz kind of feel. Yeah. It's really cool how it does it with the lyrics there. So so this is actually a a jazz standard that they're playing. Um, But she's kind of worked these lyrics in over top of them. And what happens there? So the verse before that, with the it was yellow checkers for the kitchen, climbing ivy for the bath. She's lost in house and gardens. He's caught up in chief of staff. So that's just talking about like that she's back at home and she's, you know decorating the house or whatever to, to distract from this. Then it goes into uh, your man in New York there. And he has a, like, he drifts into this memory is what the lyric is. Or he drifts into a memory of the way she looked in school with her body oiled and shining at the public swimming pool. So he's like fantasizing about like what she used to be like. So he's not happy with how things have Turned aged, out. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, but then it launches into this, uh, it's like a flashback, and uh, the lyrics are kind of about their love when it was young, and it was it meant something, and they, they were both kind of driving at this uh, goal to like build something together. And and Boy can uh, tickle the ivories too. This is, uh, it, it's really cool, like completely different vibe, but works for like this flashback vibe, right? Like it's got a different time feel to it too. Like it yeah. feels like a 50s kind of thing, which... Uh, really drives home the time traveling aspect that Jordan's in. Find a 
this is a snap back to reality there. She kind of yeah. breaks into just a talking voice and saying, uh, when will you be home, Harry? Get down off of there. Sick of this sofa. Nothing's any good. So just driving home. Uh, that uh, this this was a flashback and <laughs> it's not reality at the time. And yeah, ramps out of it in this cool little part. Um, kind of leads back to the uh, the final verse. Um, let's let it play out. Shining hair and shining skin Shining as she reeled him in To tell him like she did today Just what he could do with Harry's house And Harry's take-home pay And that's Harry's house with the big long fade out. Wow. Cool drums at the end. Yeah, it's a real real tour de force. Yeah, that's yeah, amazing. And it's cool that you haven't really uh dove into Joni, so this might be a little feel a little different than what you're used to from her, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I've never heard anything quite like that. I mean it still makes perfect sense and sounds like her. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, but no one else can. But obviously, with a very different <laughs> instrumentation, you you said it. She's a great guitar player, but yeah, this is a whole different feel. She has amazing musicians backing her up, and and it kind of makes sense that she would go that route. Um, yeah. Like you said, with the, like kind of the melodies of the way she sings, and then she kind of found a way to get a jazz band to mirror that or emphasize that yeah very cool yeah that's the thing uh, yeah um i keep saying cinematic but it is very much like everything is like reinforcing its the the, the plot points <laughs> you know it is yeah it's kind of like a little movie in your head her complaints there and that spoken word part kind of led to um the final verse which was shining hair and shining skin shining as she reeled them in which is kind of uh She's like shining with anger at this point, as opposed to shining with like youth and <laughs> whatever mm. att- he was attracted to. Mm-hmm. And then it says to tell him like she did today, just what he could do with Harry's house and Harry's take home pay. So the alternative title for this song was take this house and shove it. And uh, it was going to be set <laughs> to a Johnny paycheck number actually, but that, that's the <laughs> vibe. I get from it. It's yeah. not that it's not like she's saying like, I can really fix this place up. She's saying like, fuck this, <laughs> you know, yeah. take it and I'm out. Um, yeah. So it, it undoubtedly ended in divorce. So it's on point for today. At least that's how I interpret uh, this, this. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> yeah. We both kind of did fuck you songs that I had a couple other songs in mind that were the opposite. There were bad breakup, divorce songs mm-hmm. where the uh the narrator is very much taking the blame and taking the high road and yeah wishing the other person the best and that's that's cool and I, we need to do this every year i think for valentine's day <laughs> because it it's just so wide open there's so many yeah. songs we can choose mm-hmm. uh, but there's nothing wrong with a good fuck you i'm mad this didn't work out type of song 
Exactly. Especially when uh, George Joni is singing it. Yeah, you know, I listen to anything they sing. Top, you know. And we're going to, we shall come back to Joni Mitchell. I mean, she's in my roster just like Neil and Cohen and the band as like my heavy hitters. Like the bands that are like, everybody knows them and like everybody knows them for a reason. Um, I could talk about her for days. And I do. Yeah, but yeah, why, why wouldn't you do that? I mean, everyone knows George Jones, but maybe they haven't thought about this particular song or, you know. Yeah. Taking a close look at it, so. Yeah, and it's these artists that they have all these different stages of their career. It's, it's interesting right. to drop in on them. Like I said, it's it's kind of, I always see it as like an album that kind of speaks to everything she did, but I'm not really into the stuff after it. Like, I do kind of hang out in that, like, Court and Spark um, blue stuff. Like, that's what I, my go-to is. Like, if I'm going to put on some Joni, I'll, I'll put that right. on. Um, right. So, yeah, it, it was kind of cool to go into this. Anyway, that's my girl, Joni. Good stuff. Well, what else do we have to cover? What do you think about next episode, Rye? Well, should we just kind of say, like, I mean, this year we're going sans boss and we're going to kind of like kind of lay out the, the year for us. Um, but of course we still want you all to like, give us some ideas. Um, yeah, anything, you can always any bump. requests you have, right. yeah, it'll, it'll jump a queue and we'll do that next for you. We love that. And we actually got a couple of requests. There's another clay apparently out there in the Twitterverse. Uh, Who knew? Who's, who's listening. <laughs> yeah. He's a great guy. Yeah, he had a cool idea. He just kind of dropped a few, like, uh, he was just like, hey, March, you should do March Madness. Talk about, like, people going crazy. Like, he's just thinking of, like, little play on words. And then he April showers, he said, and talk about the weather. And I was like, yeah, I like both those ideas. So <laughs> the next two months, we're going we're gonna to do those. Yeah, so we're set. Yeah. So you can see, we're not just bullshitting you guys. No. Send actually- us a good idea, and we'll do it. You're in control. Truth is... Send us a bad idea. We'll probably do it. I mean, who cares? Like, <laughs> yeah, we can come up with something. But no, mm-hmm. the, we love both of us. Love both of those ideas. So we're set for the next couple months. Thanks to our boy Clay out there. So yeah, next month will be uh, madness. Madness for March. Mental health is what we kind of translated it to. Yeah, so. some kind of mental health song. So that'll be fun. There's all kinds of. I mean, I'm a big fan of uh, of Mad Men and women. <laughs> Yeah, mad persons, <laughs> mad persons. Yeah, I go. was trying to do an Aussie link there with the. Oh uh, right, right. Um, <laughs> it felt flat and just made me sound like I was <laughs> sexist. <laughs> I think uh, like Joni lo- Mitchell today. <laughs> no, yeah, you love women. I, I've met my quota. My wife and I just started watching Mad Men. You know, oh yeah, the TV show. We've yeah. never. We're finally getting around to it. And oh, guess really? what? Okay, guys, very good show. <laughs> It's a good TV show. Check it out. Yeah, you guys should check it out. <laughs> like you said, write it, write us. Uh, check us out on Twitter. <laughs> we don't post much, but mm-hmm. if you post something, we'll we'll respond. We'll respond to you. Yeah, at, at North by pol- South Pod. We're very polite in that way. <laughs> yeah, it's the Canadian in me, <laughs> the Southern gentleman in me. <laughs> yeah, I guess we, I think we did it again. Whatever it actually means is up for debate but we have done it once again right <laughs> look at us good <laughs>